preemptively introduced to the men that are going to actually do the work. They're going to be the ones that are going to create and build the tabernacle. Not only will they supervise the construction of the sanctuary itself, but all of its furnishings and the priestly clothing will be, that will be worn by Aaron and his sons, all the way down to even the oils and the incense that they're going to be used. Everything regarding everything that will be done in regards to worship. This message this morning is called The Workman of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today, God, for the opportunity we have to be in your house. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful singing. Thank you for the spirit, uh, Lord, amongst your people, God. I do praise you for that. And I do pray, Father, that you'll not only speak to our hearts, but, Lord, I pray that you'll speak, uh, Lord, in a way that will help us to be changed. And, Lord, if there be one here today that does not know for sure that they're on their way to heaven, if they are not a child of God, they may know of you, but, Lord, they don't know you. I pray that today will be their day of salvation, God. Thank you for what you will do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week, as we looked at, we're going to kind of do a little bit of a recap of last week's message. We talked about the Holy Spirit of God and how that referenced into the anointing oil that was going to be spread amongst every corner and every nook and cranny of the tabernacle. So that whole thing, that formulation was described by God to be very specific. It was supposed to be by his will and by his recipe, right? It would be unique. It would consecrate or separate the temple and the people of God from, or those, those priests, from every other dwelling in the Israelite encampment. So as you walked around, there would be something very, very unique about the way it looked and also the way that it smelled. So as we paid attention last week, if you'll notice, we did not finish Exodus 30 last week. We actually stopped at Exodus 34. But what's interesting, we're not going to finish it because we actually have already taught it. When I did the, uh, the anointing, when we talked about the... Um, the, the altar of incense, right? And we talked about the formulation of the incense. Well, verse 34 to verse 38 is exactly the ingredients that we already covered it. So we looked at the holy incense. We looked at the fact that it was designed and created very specific in its smell. It was designed actually to be a representation of the prayers of God's people. And what it, what it said was, and what we learned was the fact that because the incense were very specific according to God's will, our prayers are supposed to mimic that exact same thing. Our prayers should be according to to God's will. Then we looked at that anointing oil, right? Remember that the picture, it comes down to this. And when we live our lives, when we do what we do, and you need to be, be understand that our, our perception needs to be that we're doing things according to God's will and not our own will, right? And we saw a picture of Jesus actually modeling that for us in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Luke twenty two forty two. Jesus says this. He's saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, right? And what we find is every one of God's instructions is actually expressing his will. He's expressing his will through this entire direction in regards to the tabernacle. Everything that we see, each direction, each specific direction is designed to sanctify God's people. That's its purpose. It's all about developing that sweet fellowship with God that he desires for us. Remember, God wants to know us. He wants to walk with us. He wants to have us to have a walk with him. He wants our life to be consecrated from the world, to be separated from the world, that we might have fellowship with him. And John's in John 17, verses 16 through 17, he says this, They are not of the world, speaking of us, speaking of the, of the disciples, those that will follow Christ, even as I am not of the world. Verse number 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. When you and I read the Bible, guess what? We get to see God's will. We know exactly what his will is, and people go, well, I don't know if it's God's will. Well, guess what? If it doesn't line up with Scripture, it's not God's will. If you can find something that lines up with Scripture, it is God's will. The whole purpose is he wants to sanctify us through his word. The Bible is what it's supposed to do, and that's why we're here today, 
right? It's about sanctifying these lives, about living these lives for God's will and not for our own. Because if we do it for ourselves, we do for for what we're going to get out of it. Guess what? It's hollow. It's a hollow life. But when we serve God, it makes a total huge difference in our lives because we can can be fulfilled. Because, right, guess what? If we're here to hear, if we have ears to hear, and we're here to let the, the word of God, the truth of the word, right, truly speak to us, to truly sanctify us out from everyone else. If we allow it to do that, guess what it does? It brings us into fellowship. And as we're in fellowship, guess what? We experience the blessing that God has for us. He wants to be there for us. He is, the Bible says he, he sticks, sticks closer than a brother, right? He is family to us as a child of God. He is our father. So we move away. As we move away from here, God's instructions towards what's to be built. Now what we're going to do is we're going to shift our instructions or shift our attention onto who is going to do the building, okay? The workman of God. Verse 30, Exodus 31, verses 1 through 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. Okay? So we see here not only, right, that God calls Bezalel, but actually that he knows him by name, right? He calls him specifically. And guess what? That's true of us as well. He knows our name. He knows us, every single one of us. John 10, verses 14 through 15 says this, I am the good shepherd. This is the Lord speaking. He says, I know my sheep and am known of mine, right? They know me. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He says, look, not only do I know them, but I care so much about them that I literally will put my life, I'll give my life in regards to to protect them. So what happens is now God God has called Bezalel to service and he knows his name. Yes, what? And he absolutely knows that's true for us as well. But see, our Savior loves us. He loves us so much and knows us so personally that he cares about what we're going through. When you're dealing with a tribulation, you're going through something hard, you're not going through it by yourself. You and I have got to realize the fact that God walks with us through every step of the way. And as a Christian, as you go through the challenges of life, guess what? Tough times that we don't like and we don't want, everything that you face has been filtered through the hands of God. He's allowing it in your life. And it's a matter of, will we, are we willing to embrace what God's letting all happen in our lives, understanding that it fashions us, it shapes us. Our faith is built in hard times not in good times. So God allows things to come into our lives. And God, and interesting, right? And how long? So God knows us, but how long has he known us? Isaiah 49, one says this, Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, ye people from far. The Lord hath called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. Jeremiah 1.5 says this, Before I form thee, in the, in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nation. So not only does he know us, but he knew us even before we were even formed. Because when we're not even a twinkle in our parents' eye, guess what? God already knows what our name's going to be, even though our parents don't even know, but God knows. Luke 12, verses 6 and 7 says this. It says, are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? He says, look, there's nothing that slips past his eyes. Every single hatchling that's ever been born, God knows about every individual sparrow. He knows when it's alive. He knows what it's going to happen in its life, and he knows when it dies. In verse 7, but even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, for some of us, some of us that might be reducing day by day right? <laughs> but God knows how many we started with, and he knows how many we're going to finish, and he even knows how many we have right now, right? Even as they're falling out, he's keeping count. 
Um, and it says, fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Look, God values you. He loves you, right? If you're here today and you believe the lie that someone has told you perhaps in your life, or maybe that the enemy has whispered in your ear, the one that says that you are worthless, right? That's a lie that has been told to so many people over the years. And right now with, with social media and all the things that go on Facebook and we hear about bullying online, that lie gets told to people over and over and over again. And guess what? Now more than ever, people are believing it. Frighteningly enough, as overall causes of death in the United States, currently suicide is the 10th cause of death overall. In ages 12 to 20, it's the second leading cause of death in the United States. In 2018, 48,344 people died from suicide, and another 1.4 million people attempted suicide just in 2018. People are believing the lie. Because just because they believe it does not make it true, right? That's the problem. A lie only has value when you give it value, right? right. If you believe it, if you choose to receive it, it can become impactful. But if you realize that it's a lie, it's easy just to let it roll off your back. If I go up to you and your name's Frank and I say, your name's Bob, you're not like, oh, <laughs> I always thought I was Frank. No. You go, that's a joke. I'm not Bob, right? It rolls right off you because you know it's not true. The problem is when you take something in and you decide to choose to receive it, it can impact you. Not only does God value us, but guess what? He loves us so much, and he has a purpose for our lives, right? He values us so much that he gave his life for, help, for us. No doubt about that. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. God says, I have a purpose for the reason that you're here on this earth. You may not understand it, but believe me, it's there. And the world is going to tell us that we are worthless. The world's going to tell us that we don't have value. But I'm telling you, God does see value. He knows our names. He created us for, he created our lives to bring glory to his name, right? Which is exactly what he's calling Bezalel to do. By name, he's saying, look, I want you to bring glory to my name, right? The whole aspect of the tabernacle, what does it do? It puts people focused on God. It's about his dwelling place. We see the gold, we see the linen, we see all the work that's going to go in. The intricate and intricacies of what's going to be created, Right? So all that he's going to make, all that he's going to supervise being made is expressly designed, and the purpose is to glorify and exalt God. Right? That's the purpose of his existence. Right? And if he answers his call, and he's faithful, right? he's faithful to do it, well, guess what? God receives glory. And guess what? Humanity will have an opportunity to commune with Almighty God. There's Eric. Amen. Praise the Lord. He's here. Hey, Eric. Your new Bible sitting right here for you, brother. Amen. Eric got saved two weeks ago, praise the Lord. Amen. So what we see here is the fact that if he'll answer the call, bottom line is God is going to work. He's going to fulfill his reasoning. And guess what? That's just like us, right? God calls us by name. He knows us. He created us for a purpose, which is if we will do what we're called to do, we'll use our talents and abilities for God's glory. Guess what? He will receive glory, but also God's people will be impacted at the same time. That's what they're showing. That's what we see here with Bezalel. If we answer the call in our lives, bottom line, we'll share the truth. God will receive glory. And ultimately, we will give God glory and people will be able to receive time with him. We can see Bezalel as a picture of the believer, right? Now, Will he answer the call? 
Will he do what he's been called to do? The choice, again, is not God's, right? It's Bezalel's. He's going to choose. So when God calls us, we don't have to respond. We can resist the call, right? Who's ever resisted the call before? God's maybe laid something in your heart, and you're like, nah, not today, <laughs> right? We, over, we take our will, and we go, you know what? No, today, my will is going to win, Lord. But the whole goal is that we're trying to exalt the Lord by following his will, okay? So who is Bezalel, right? Let's get to know him, what we know about him, right? So we know that his father's name was Uri, right? And his grandfather's name was Hur. Now, Uri... You're not going to really find him many other places. See, this, his, main name, his main name probably doesn't ring a bell for you, but her should ring a bell. You should recognize that name, right? And we think about her. Her, if we could think about, go back to the Amaleks, right? Whenever what happened was the Israelites, as they had left Egypt just a few months down the road, they had a run-in with Amalek and his forces. And when they did run into him, they had this issue where the fact was, bottom line was uh, uh, Moses, if he raised his hand, actually, I'll just read you the verses, Exodus 17, verses 11 through 12. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that the Israelites prevailed. They won. And when he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and they were victorious. So Aaron is on one side and Hur's on the other side, and they're holding his hands up. So what we see in this account is that Hur is certainly trusted, right? He's trusted. Consider the fact that the guy on this side is Moses' own brother, and her is trusted to be the other man. So we see certainly trusted he can be counted upon in a tough situation. We look at the amount of trust and faith that Moses has on him here in Exodus 24, 13. We studied this not too long ago. And this is when Moses is going up on Mount Sinai. And he says, And Moses rose up, and his minister Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of, of, of God, and he said unto the elders, Tarry ye here for us until we come again unto you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. If any man have any matters to do, let him come unto them. Okay? So Aaron and her are literally, they're like on the same level. We find out that he's above all the elders, right? Because the elders are supposed to bring issues to him. So her is trusted. He's got authority. He's got judgment. He's on the same level as Aaron, right? And it's also interesting that he's of the tribe of Judah. What we find with the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Judah is actually going to be the southern kingdom of the Israelites at, some, at a certain point. But also, that's guess what? That's where the line of David comes out of, from the tribe of Judah. And then ultimately, out of that same tribe of Judah, that's where the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come. So we see here that the, the, in Judah is a tribe of leaders, a tribe of kings. So Bezalel has a strong, godly heritage. He's got a foundation of godly men behind him. Verse number three, and I, will, and I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works, to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones to set them and in carving of timber to work in all manner of workmanship, right? So we can see here that Bezalel, man, he is knowledgeable. He knows his stuff. He's multi-talented. I mean, the guy can do all these things with his hands, right? If we were to consider him today, we would call him like a, a jack-of-all-trades, right? This dude can do it all, right? So, but if you think about it, and what's interesting, I thought about this. This is probably the very first reference of anybody who has those kind of abilities. Bezalel of all trades doesn't necessarily roll off the tongue as easily as a jack-of-all-trades does. We'd all be using that term. But bottom line is, Bezalel's got some talents, right? He can do anything. So we look, let's circle back to verse number three. It says, and I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner 
of workmanship, right? So having read all of his skills that he possesses, we look at Bezalel and go, wow, you know what? Where have they come from? Where did he get his skills, right? His talents and abilities came from God, and more specifically from the Spirit of God. Now, could Bezalel look at his life and his gifts and think, man, holy moly, I'm a talented guy. I mean, look at all the stuff that I can do. Could he compare himself to the other Israelites and say, you know what? I mean, why do I even talk to these guys, right? What happened? His pride could swell. There are people that have been given great gifts and great abilities, man. And guess what? They're filled with pride because they take it upon themselves. There are people in this world that say, you know what? My gifts, my God-given gifts, they're my gifts and mine alone to be used for myself, right? Think about this. I mean, there's people that have been given God-given talent to sing, right? I mean, we know we have, that's, a, that's a, in the secular world, people say, man, what a God-given gift. They'll even say that, won't they, right? So it's a God-given gift. So God says, why does he give us gifts? For his glory, right? But then this person takes this gift and they use it for their own, right? For their own glorification, for their own fame. It's all about them. And what we'll find is if we look at these singers, and we look at people that are in the world that are singing traditionally, if they're not singing Christian music, they're not singing something that's glorifying God, traditionally it's very counter to God's will. Traditionally what we'll find is a lot of times sin is celebrated in these things. And what it means is the fact that bottom line is they're in, they're in opposition to the Lord. If we're not serving God, then guess what? We're serving self or we're serving sin. James 4, 4 says this, ye adulterers and adulteresses. This is not talking about adulterers and adulteresses in a, natural, in a relationship. What this is actually talking about is spiritual adultery. He says, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. He says, look, do you not realize that friendship with the world and friendship with me, they're in opposition, right? Whosoever, therefore, is a friend of the world is the enemy of God, literally the enemy of God. So they stand in opposition to God, and now they actually are the enemy of God, right? So we're believers. As believers, guess what? When a world, if I've got, if I'm doing things and I'm using my gifts for the world or for myself, well, guess what I am? I'm an unfaithful spouse because guess what? We're the bride of Christ, right? So the groom is Christ. We're the bride, right? The Bible talks about us being a bride. There's a marriage, right? That marriage is going to be the body of Christ, the body, which is Christ, or, or, the, or the, the, the church, which is the bride, and we have the Lord. And we're supposed to be in a faithful relationship with our groom. But what happens when we start dabbling with the world? We start getting the influences in our lives, and we start messing around with these things that we start allowing to us into our lives. And all of a sudden, what it does, it draws us attention away from our groom, and now we're starting to becoming adulterous. We not be, may not be in a fornicating relationship. We may not be all the way off the board, but we're heading that way, right? And we start to dabble with the world. What does it do? It taints us, draws us in, he tempts us, right? So the question we have to ask ourselves in our Christian lives is, am I being faithful? If I think about my relationship with my Savior, am I being faithful? In the parable of the master and his servants, the Lord pictures it actually for us when he is giving out the rewards to the faithful servant in Matthew 25, 21. He says, the Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. He says, look, I can trust you with the little stuff. And because I can trust you with the little stuff, guess what? Now I'm going to trust you with the, the big stuff. Good example. This is a little side note. If, you have, if you're in a relationship, guess what? If, you're, if you've got a spouse 
and you're not a good listener. I used to be a terrible listener. If you're not a good listener, if you will take the time to listen to the small things, guess what? Your spouse will eventually tell you the big things. But if you won't listen to the small things, guess what they'll do? They'll hide those big ones because you don't even care about the little stuff. Why would you care about the big ones? The Bible says quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. You got two ears and one mouth. Use them appropriately. That's a side note, just a little extra detail, just for whoever wanted that. Anyway, uh, so we look at that, that, that aspect of the delivering, right? God's rewarding the servants. And that actually is picturing the judgment seat of Christ, okay? It's picturing the judgment, judgment seat of Christ as we receive from God what, because of the Christian life that we've lived, well, God's going to reward us. And 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, right? He says, look, you're going to be rewarded based upon the choices that you made, right? So you see the moment, in the moment, right, it, it won't matter what your heritage was when you stand before the Lord. It's not going to matter who your parents were. And it's not going to matter how successful you were in the world, how you use those talents, abilities, and what the world thought of what you were able to achieve, right? It's not going to matter. In that moment, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter at all. It's going to come down to this. How did you use your gifts? God gave them to you for his glory. He gave them to us. Are we evaluating our lives and taking the time to use them for his glory? Now, you and I might think, man, I don't feel adequate to serve God. I mean, I, I'm not that person. I don't have those abilities. I don't have that skill. I don't have that kind of stuff. What's awesome, and I got great news for you, because guess what? That's exactly what I always thought. But the wonderful news is the fact that God knows when he calls us, guess what he does? He equips us. He'll actually help us to be ready for what he's asking us to do. Check this out, Luke 12, verses 11 and 12. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples. He says, and when they bring you into the synagogue, so this is, and understand when they take you to a synagogue, that's not a good thing. They're not going there to have a party. They're confronting them. They're going, look, this is going to be a tough situation. And unto magistrates, when they take you to the law, he says, and it says, and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say. Verse 12, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. He says, look, you're going to be in some tough spots. They're going to put you in a situation. You don't need to stress about what you're going to have to say. You don't have to worry about it. But guess, guess what? I'm going to give you what you need to say. Notice the Lord's tense that he uses here. He says the word in verse number 11. He says, and when they bring you. He's not only calling them and letting them know that this is going to happen, but he's preparing them and reassuring them at the same time, right? Now, did you notice it also says who, right? Who is it that's going to be teaching? The Holy Ghost, right? So the Holy Ghost shall teach you. Now, there are some of us, man, in this room, and you've been given incredible gifts. I mean, you've got talents and skills just pouring out of you, right? And the whole thing is, comes down to this. It's like as God's calling us and he's given us talents and abilities and skills, it's a matter of like, are we using them for his glory? Are we using them at all? Are we sitting on them? Some people can play an instrument, but they've never played anything in church. They can sing, but they never sing in church. They, they could teach. They could work with children. They could do all, any number of things, but yet they sit on these skills, right? Now, we can answer the call or we can resist it, as we said before. But bottom line, it comes down to this. There are some of us that have been just given a couple, maybe only one talent, right? <laughs> maybe that, maybe that's, us, that's us in the room today. But you know what? It doesn't matter. It's not about the number that you receive. 
It's how you use what you've been given. Because if you've got 10 talents and all you do is use them for yourself or you just hide them, but then my brother or my sister over here who's got only one talent, but they're faithful in using it for God, who's he pleased with, right? It's not a matter of what you can do. It's a matter of are you willing to do it? Right? We look at the, the widow with the, with the widow's might, right? She puts in just, just, just a tiny couple of pennies. But he says she has given more than anyone else because she's given up her, of her want and they've given up their abundance. So look, you know what? Some people have been given so much and yet they don't even use it for God because they're so filled with all their talents and abilities and they get their ego swelled up, right? So the gifts and talents are given for God's sake, not for our own sake, right? And the more he gives us, guess what? The more he expects of us. The expectation increases. If God's blessed you with talents and abilities and you're not using for him, guess what? There's an expectation. God holds us accountable. Luke 12, 48 says this, but he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given of him <clears throat> shall be much required. And who men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. What this is saying is this, look, never, it, it doesn't matter if, 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 let's say there's a man who didn't really understand his talents and abilities. He didn't really under, fully understand how to use them. He didn't realize his gifts. Well, guess what? God's not going to necessarily hold him as accountable as the one who says, you know what? I've gifted him mightily. And he recognized his gift. He saw his gifts. And not only did he recognize them, but he purposely chose to use them for himself and not use them for God. There's an accountability because God says, look, I've given you not. These talents are not for you. They're for me. Bezalel has been gifted with great talents and abilities. And we'll see in Exodus 36 that guess what? He will step up. He will fulfill his role. He will do his job. And the workmen that he has with him, all those craftsmen, they're all going to come together. Now, speaking of those craftsmen, let's jump into who they are. Verse 6. And and he says, I behold, I have given him, I've given with him Aholiab, the son of Ahimahissamach. Let's just go with that. That's close enough. He's not here. He won't be offended. Um, (laughs) Of the tribe of Dan, in the heart of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom, that they may make all that I have commanded thee. Right? So we see here that this instructions, when God was given instructions for the tabernacle, he was real specific and very exclusive. But what we find is with talents and abilities, God's pretty liberal with actually applying them to other people. He's quite generous. But there's a caveat in there that we notice, right? It says there in that verse that they must be wise at heart, right? So those that will receive it are wise at heart, meaning they have wisdom. Proverbs 2, verses 6 through 11 says this, for the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that are, that walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of the judgment and preserveth the ways of his saints. Then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity. Yea, every good path. When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee. He says, look, these men, these men can be trusted with these talents. They can be entrusted to do what God's asking them to do. And when the time comes, guess what they're going to do? They're going to apply them. They're going to build the tabernacle. They're going to do all that God asks them. Now, does that mean they're perfect? No, man. Guess what? We're in Exodus 31. In Exodus 32, Guess what's going to show up? A golden calf, right? And, it, you know, it says Aaron's the one that makes it, but Aaron doesn't, we know Aaron doesn't have any special skills, but we do know who the craftsmen are, who know how to work with gold, and they know how to do all that work. So there's a really, really good chance that Bezalel 
is involved in the golden calf, right? He's not going to be faithful to the end, but when the time comes and when the rubber hits the road, he is going to step up and fulfill. So God says, look, I've given you talents and abilities, and I know that you're going to drop the ball. I know you're not perfect, but guess what? Do your best to apply them to my work and to my will that you might bring glory to my name because that's why I created you. It's why I gave you every individual gift. Now, what are they going to build? Verse 7. The tabernacle of the congregation and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is thereupon and all the furniture of the tabernacle and the table and his furniture and the, and the, and the, and the pure candlestick with all his furniture and the altar of incense and the altar of, cur- of burnt offerings and all his furniture and the laver and his foot and the clothes of service and the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons to minister in the priest's office and the anointing oil and the sweet incense for the holy place according to all that I have commanded thee shall they do. Right? Now, I want you to pay attention. Interestingly enough, pay attention to the language that God uses here with the furnishings, right? Now, we've talked about and we walked our way through all of these different furnishings already. In verse number eight, I want you to notice it says, and the table. That's the showbread table, okay? Now, we remember in that message, we saw that the showbread table pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at the, look at the next part of this phrase. It says, it says, and the table and his furniture, Right? His furniture. Then it says the candlestick, the pure candlestick. Now the candlestick, again, we saw that pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. And look what it says. It says the candlestick with all his furniture. Then we have the altar of incense. Now that didn't picture the Lord Jesus Christ. That pictures the prayers of God's people. So notice the wording. It doesn't say anything that doesn't say his. Verse 9, and the altar of burnt offerings, right? That's the brazen altar outside representing the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it say? With all his furniture. And then we had the laver, right? Remember the laver? That was just two weeks ago. And the laver, that was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says the laver and his foot. No word is in the Bible by accident. All of this is specific. God is showing us, even in the wording of this little phrase here, he's pointing again to the Savior. These men, in doing what, they were, what they're called to do, guess what they're going to do? They're going to picture the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth with every piece of furniture they make. They're picturing the Lord. They're picturing the Lord. They're picturing the Lord. And guess what? When you and I, guess what? When we use our talents, guess what we get to do? Picture the Lord to this world. The very same thing that he's asking Bezalel and these craftsmen to do, you and I get to do when we live our life according to God's will. You take your gifts and talents, you apply them in the life that you live, and guess what your life does? It reflects the Lord into people's lives. Do you see the parallel there? Right? So what we find is Bezalel, he is a picture of the believer, man. These workmen will be found faithful. They will embrace their gifts, their talents, their abilities, and they will apply them to the work of God, man. Now, if we ask ourselves the exact same thing, we assess our gifts and our talents, and you really look at what you've been given, and you said, you know what? Would God, if he listed my talents and abilities, because he knows my name, he knows what he's given me, and if he assessed me today, would he check me down as faithful in applying my gifts and talents? Or do you make a list of all the things I'm not doing? Because the choice isn't God's, it's ours. He's already given us the gifts. He's already given us the talents. He's already called us. He's done all of this, and he's saying, look, all I need you to do is willing to step up and do your part. Now, you see God's calling them not only to individual service, but we see here he's actually calling them as a team, right? He's assembling them to accomplish something much greater together that they can individually do. 
I mean, this thing's 150 feet long, 50 feet long. It's monstrous. The amount of work they've got to do is, un, is insurmountable. One man would be way, way, way overwhelmed. So what he does, he gathers these craftsmen together and he assembles a team, right? And in doing their job correct, correctly and in creating the tabernacle and creating the furnishings, they are enabling humanity, their fellow, their fellow Israelites. They're giving them a place where they can commune with their creator, right? Doesn't that sound like us? Amen. Amen. Yeah. Didn't God assemble a team when he created this church? God planted the church. We didn't plant the church. God chose the location. God chose the people. God brought you. So all these people that have been called, as God says, look, I'm assembling a team to do this work because I want my name to be glorified. I'm going to place where, where God's people can come and commune with me, where my son can be modeled and represented on earth. He gathers people together, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says this, 12 through 14, it says, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. When you receive Christ, man, the Spirit of God moves inside of you. Boom, that's a spiritual baptism. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, he says, no matter who you are, whether we be bond or free, you're a free man or you're a slave, doesn't matter, you're all the same. All have been, and it says, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. We are a family. We are bonded together through the same spirit. Verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many, right? So here we have the many, and all y'all that are out there, right? We have the many, and each of us has been gifted specific talents and specific abilities there's things that you can do that I cannot do. There's a lot of things I cannot do. Praise God for you that can do them because things go wrong, especially technical stuff. I'm like, <laughs> I, just, I just hand my phone to people. I'm like, that's doing something weird. I don't know what's going on, right? So it, it, some of us have those abilities. Playing the guitar. When I was seven years old, I took guitar lessons and I, it made my fingers hurt. I was like, I can't do this, man. I mean, after the second lesson, I was like, I quit, mom. I can't do it, right? But Peter, man, he plays it like a song. I mean, like a song, I guess that's... Bad way to say it. Plays it like a guitarist, I guess, whatever. He's got that talent, that ability, right? But that, see, that gift is being used for the glory of God. How many of us have got talents and abilities that we're sitting on as we speak, right? This body has many members, many, many talents, many abilities that should be used, right? We're all called, but not for personal gain, right? You're not here at the church just to be fed. And that's the problem that we have in society today. People come to church to be entertained. People come to church to be fed. I, you know what? I'm not being fed. I'm leaving. I'm not getting what I want. Because guess what? It's all about them, right? But you got to realize this corporate group, it's not about us. Right. It says over the door of the church when you leave, it's not about me. It's all about him. But we live our lives like it's all about me and not about him. Right. He falls so far back in where he should be in the priorities of our life. And if we put him in the proper place, we realize that when we come to church, hey, you know what? I'm not coming here to be entertained. I'm not here to make sure that the donuts are just the way I want them. And I'm not here because I want everybody to smile at me. And if I don't get a, a handshake or I don't get a hug, I'm not happy. It's not about us, man. We've got to deny our flesh, get out of our own way, because this is about him, not about us. Our worship today is about honoring God, not receiving anything. If you walk out of here and you receive something, praise the Lord. I mean, I'll do my very, very best to give you what God gives us. But bottom line is, if some days I don't do, I don't hit the mark, and you're like, you know what? That was terrible. I'm sorry. And then maybe today's that day. I don't know. <laughs> bottom line is, if that's the case, 
and I didn't do anything ungodly. Well, then, hey, man, God receives some glory. And that's what this thing's all about. Let's not get caught up in the short term because realize we're all here for a purpose. And you and I are supposed to be picturing the Lord Jesus Christ to a broken world outside those doors. And if you've got to come here to get fortified to do it, praise the Lord, man. But when we leave here, let's not forget who it is we are and who we represent, right? We walk out the door and the world hits us in the face with all kinds of problems and issues, coronavirus, whatever else it is, and people lose sight of who they are. They lose sight of who they represent. And next thing you know, they look just like everybody else. And that godly traits and those talents and abilities and that love that you have deep in your heart that sometimes we cover up because we've been hurt. We've got to be willing to say, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about me. This is about him. And you know what? I've been given talents and abilities, and I'm not realizing them. And I've used them for other purposes. But it's time for me to surrender them to the Savior. Right? We created a local church where humanity will be able to commune and personally meet their creator. Right? He called them by name, every one of these creators, these, these craftsmen, and he's called us exactly the same way. Now we know that these craftsmen answered the call. They're going to do, right, exactly what God asked them to do. They'll fulfill it exactly, and they will follow every direction down to the last detail because they have ears to hear and a willingness to work. But if we ask ourselves the same question, they answer the call. Will we? Right? Will we answer the call? I can't decide that for you. I answer the call, and I'm doing the best that I can. I mess up all the time. But hey, God called me to plant the church. I didn't feel adequate to do this. I didn't feel adequate to do any of these things. I don't feel adequate to do what I'm doing right now. But it's by God's grace that he empowers me to do it. I told my wife, every time I stand up here, I feel completely inadequate, scared, but at the same time, I have such incredible confidence because I know that God is with me. And it's not, it's not me that does it. It's him. And if you get anything out of this, it's good. It's not me, man. All the stuff that didn't, all the stuff that didn't work, that came from David. Anything that worked and made an impact on you, that came from God. I'm just telling you straight up. In the end, it will not matter what family we came from or didn't come from, right? Some of us weren't raised in Christian homes. Some of us were raised around paganism. Some of us were raised around just the world. We were raised around destruction and pain and sadness and lies and, and deceit, right? That's our background. But I'm not going to have that to stand on when I sit before the Lord. I go, but it's not my fault, Lord, because you know what? In our world today, everybody's a victim. Nothing's anybody's fault. Everybody wants to tie it back to something. What happened in my childhood? Da-da. Guess what? When you're an adult, even when you're old enough to know what's going on, you get to make your own choices. You can fall back on the garbage of your past. You can say, you know what? You know what? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't care what my mom did. I don't care what my dad did. I don't care what my uncle did. I don't care what anybody did. Because I answer for me. And I make a choice today. This life is going to be not about me. It's going to be about him. And guess what? As he calls you to use those gifts and abilities, he'll enable you, he'll empower you, and he'll help you. And he'll walk by your side. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And as those guys are getting ready to go face the world, it says they're going to go see magistrates, and some of those magistrates will cut their heads off. And he says, don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry, don't worry about it. I got this. There's a purpose to it all. It won't matter how many talents we have. If it's 10 or if it's one, it will not matter in the end. What matters is did you apply them? Did you use what God gave you for his glory? Because guess what? 
when we willingly surrender our gifts to the work of God, right? And his will, what's so awesome, is we'll finally fulfill our purpose. And then, and only then, do we get to become a workman of God. It's an opportunity to change the world. It's an opportunity to impact eternity. We have it every day. Problem is we work for ourselves. And God's saying, hey, take your eyes off of you and put it on me. And they realize when a tough time comes and you want to react in anger, I need you to love them. And when someone doesn't deserve grace, I need you to overwhelm them with grace. And when someone doesn't deserve your patience, patiently, with long-suffering, care for them. Reach out the same way I did for you. Do for someone else. Because you are supposed to picture me in this world. And that's not easy. That's why he says, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus took his cross to the top of a hill. And he killed his flesh. He's telling us, you take up your cross. Climb the hill. Follow me. And kill your flesh. That your spirit might reign supreme. Let's pray. Lord. Thank you for your word. God, for the way that you speak to us. Lord, uh, the way that you speak through us some days. Uh, God, I do thank you for the message. And Lord, for what you spoke to me, God, in regards to surrender. Father, I pray that as all of us, as believers, Lord, we're in this room today and we've received Christ. Some of us just, just very recently. But we've been given gifts and talents and abilities. And Lord, help us to surrender them to your will and to your work. God, that this world might be changed. That it might be impacted for the glory of God through what you've gifted us with. Help us to be faithful, not adulterers and adulteresses. Help us to be faithful to you to the end. Lord, that you'll use these lives for your glory. With their heads bowed and with their eyes closed. If you're here today, you say, you know what? I don't know if I have a relationship with God. I believe in God. Hey, and that's great, guys. 18 years ago, I'd never been in church my entire life. 18 years ago, I had no relationship with God. 18 years ago, I knew nothing about the Lord. I'd never read a Bible. But someone cared enough about me and my wife to open a Bible before us and tell us the truth of who Christ was, to tell us that there was a Savior who died on a cross for me and for her, that he knew our names, that he cared for us, that he loved us enough to trade his life for ours, that he would pay the price for our sins. Because if you're here today and you say, you know what? I don't have a relationship with God. That means that the sins that you've committed, and we've all committed, and the Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, we're all in the same boat. We're all destined to a devil's hell if we don't receive Christ. But the most amazing news in the world is that he loves us just right where we are. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, he still loves us. And grace is to love someone who does not deserve love. And that's what Jesus does. He offers grace to the world. And if you're here today and you say, you know what? I've never received that grace. You can do it today. It is nothing more than you surrendering your will to God. Believing in God is good, but believing in God will not get you to heaven. It is trusting Christ as your Savior that will save you. If you're here today and you want to receive Christ as your Savior, it's not a magic prayer. 
It's not a ceremony. It's a matter of a heart that's willing to receive the gift of God. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. And if you want your heart to receive him, I promise you he is ready to receive you right now. With open, with open arms, with love in his eyes, he is looking at you right where you are in your broken condition, saying, I want a relationship with you. I want to restore you. I want you to be my child. I want to hold you and walk with you through the rest of this life. You can have this life, or you can face eternity without me in darkness and in pain and fear. He does not want that for any of us. He loves us. He says that, that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You have an opportunity right now to pray and receive him. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. Now, you can, you can pray this in your heart and mind. Again, it's not the words of the prayer that's going to do anything for you. The Bible says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In your heart, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, pray this prayer in your heart and mind. And if you mean it with your heart and you're sincere, God will save you in your seat and change your forever. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, in your heart and mind, repeat this prayer after me. Remember, it's not the words of the prayer that will save you. God's listening to your heart. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And Lord, I'm so sorry for all that I've done wrong. I know that you love me. And it's incredible to understand that truth. And Lord, that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. What an amazing truth and that you rose on the third day and proved you were God incredible I'm asking you right now in the best way I know how to forgive me of my sins to pay the price that I cannot pay and save my soul Lord come into my heart save me and make me your child Lord, I love you. Thank you for loving me. I will see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Head still.